Hello everyone. I'm Madhura Gaikwad and you are listening to Zip Radio podcasts powered by Synergip. In today's episode, we are continuing our discussion from the previous episode on microservices using Spring Boot and Spring Cloud. Vinayak Zogrekar, our CTO, is in conversation with microservices expert Webhav Patel. So let's continue with this session. Welcome on board, guys. Thanks, Madhura. Thanks for the introduction. And this is the second part of the episode on microservices using Spring Boot and Spring Cloud. And we have our guest, Vaibhav. Thank you, Vaibhav, for being on this podcast for the second consecutive episode. So for our listeners, I just recall that in the last episode, we covered many aspects of Spring Boot and Spring Cloud, which included how configuration server can be used, also how discovery happens. Then we talked a little bit about the services that are offered by Netflix's libraries such as Strix and patterns such as Circuit Breaker and Bulk Heading. And then we also talked about using filters, using Zoom in the end, towards the end of the last episode. And there was a web of, we left out something there that is a very good use of Zool service to very often we launch a new product in which you might not want to expose a new feature or a functionality to everybody. And a new version, maybe in the form of a service, maybe version 2 is having the same functionality but an improved version should be exposed to let's say to start with x percent of the population and then gradually increase this percentage or the load and reduce the percentage of uh, people who are seeing the old service now this is very useful because if you notice that new version of the service is not being liked and you're not getting the same response or the same conversion rates you might roll it back and you might decide to go backwards from uh, let's say 30 percent of the users seeing the new service to 20 percent to 10 percent and then just uh, shut it down or if you're getting response which is better than your existing service then you might decide to roll forward by increasing 30% to 40, 50 and so on and finally to 100% and then shut down the old service. So this is a typical application that you can use Zool filter for. Can you just explain how Zool can be used for building, incorporating such a functionality in your application? Sure. So this is the another example of implementing microservice. So where we have to implement kind of a special root service and job of that special root service is it accepts the service name as input parameter and it has a own database where the information about the special roots for this particular service its weight and whether it is active or not that information is maintained in its own database whenever zool gets the request for service a then developer has to implement dynamic routing a root filter in the api gateway but the job of that is to call the special root service using this service id so the response of that service is basically the new root that we have to forward weight of that root so based on the weight our dynamic filter can decide that what percentage i want to send request to the new root 
so we can implement that using by by creating random number and which will be compared with the weightage that is already set in the database and with this combination we can either forward to the new root or we can keep using existing root the only thing that here is if at all we want to navigate to special root developer has to write its own implementation zool does not directly forward to new root so that part of implementation is the developer's responsibility to implement so can you explain why does zool not forward i mean just the way because it's primarily the objective of using zool is using a single point of entry from where get automatically directed to the redirect service right i mean so why in this case the developer has to take care of rerouting yes zool internally uses the mechanism which is based on the Uh, incoming request but in this particular scenario we are trying to change the request maybe additional param url parameters or maybe or and the url itself so that part is not handled in the existing zool implementation that is the reason that developer has to implement his own logic to call the special route mm-hmm. and then in that case it has to handle all the correlation id and all that stuff mm-hmm. uh, developer has to handle on its own now you also said that there is a place in configuration database where the weight is stored yes and that weight could be a fixed number such as let's say 30% or 0.3 now i have to increase this gradually as a function of time and i don't want to every now and then enter this value in the database and change it change 30 to 40 or 30 to 20 i mean i i am i might just say that look if left to itself it should bump itself up by 5% every 4 hours or something like that so is it possible to write such a function configuration function or is it mandatory to store a static value in the database well uh special root service being an independent service it will have its own logic if at all it can be configurable that data can be stored in the mysql or whatever database it is using internally that data can be stored in excel and we if we want we can write a scheduler job to keep on updating keep on uh, searching the database and keep on updating what is the weight no i might want to just use the system time Uh, to calculate the number of hours from the so if, let's say i have a database in which you have 30 and the time stamp and then i use the system time and find the difference when it's 4 hours i bump up by 5% to 35% isn't that possible I and mean, what i'm saying is is some logic possible to be incorporated in the uh, service for uh, redirecting to it is possible but ideally job of that service is to provide client that what is supposed to do uh, for that particular route so in my opinion i would instead of rather uh, using the same service to update something in the database uh, i would rather have some another client which will you know modify existing routes which are stored in the uh, special route service database instead of having that logic implemented in this because if suppose later if after some month if i want to change that logic then the only way to do that is modify special root service and do that logic so uh, instead of doing that i would prefer having some another client work with special yeah, root that service that makes sense yeah because then in that case i don't have to touch the special root server right, right. yeah all right uh, you know thanks for completing this discussion on zool now you know very often we are faced with a problem which is very unique to the world of uh, microservices this is the problem of 
scaling. We always say that microservices are used for scaling and uh, very often it is a problem because there is a lot of database interaction that we notice in the applications which is causing slowness because taking a database connection or committing a write or update kind of CRUD operation is time consuming and that is uh, one of the reasons for the slowness in applications. So for scaling, one of the primary concerns we have is it has to be stateless because if you have some state stored inside a service, then you can't just replicate that service because then it will not function the same way when it is used for two different requests. So for every request, a stateless kind of microservice can be scaled across by creating multiple instances of that service. Right. Whereas if it's a stateful service, that is hard because in that case it becomes more difficult to scale because it holds certain state and it will not work the same way uh, when you see two different requests. So how is this problem solved or what is the architectural pattern that we use to solve this problem of scaling horizontally? Yes. So as you correctly mentioned, microservices are meant to be stateless. If uh, at any point of time we feel that we have to implement a stateful service, then microservice is not option for that. Coming back to your question about how to scale such operations, there is a pattern called as CQRS, Command Query Responsibility Segregation Pattern is what we call CQRS pattern is implemented along with event sourcing. The pattern is basically the name suggests command query segregation. We can separate out the command operations which means create, update, delete operations on a particular store we can separate that from the query operations so let's take hypothetical example so there is a pattern called as cqrs command query responsibility segregation is what we have to implement along with event sourcing the benefit of having event sourcing is you can scale your application and basically you enable uh, the application to be forward compatible let's take hypothetical example of facebook application where any user updates his profile picture but if we closely observe that update is not immediately affected to the other users who are using Facebook. So that picture may not be directly available to the other users. So in that case, it may possible that uh, there is one centralized database maintained by uh, Facebook and the service which updates the uh, profile picture. It will just update its own database, but there could be other different dependent systems. So in that case, that application's responsibility is to publish a message and dependent systems which are required to update this particular profile they will consume those messages and update their own systems accordingly now cqrs pattern is as the name suggests command query responsibility segregation in this case we separate out the command operations which are create update and delete those operations are separated from query operations the idea here is that load on command operations could be different than load on query operations. So in this particular case, uh, if you're talking about getting a profile picture, it happens once in a while, but there are several requests being made for the query service for fetching that profile picture. So scaling of query service would be different than scaling of command service. So uh, that is the CQRS pattern and it is often implemented using event sourcing. 
Yeah, so let me repeat my understanding. What you are saying here is the read and write operations are scaled separately. So I have a service which will be only reading and that can be stateless because reading repetitively if i fire the same read operation 100 times it will return the same result 100 times and there is no change of state that would happen and these things can scale independently yes but with the crud operations it is not the same so what you are saying there is that instead of having the same database being used for read and write you have two different databases right so you're writing to a database which is being used by the command service which is doing the crud operations whereas you're reading from another database which is not really consistent right so uh, going back to cap theorem you are actually sacrificing consistency right in the interest of availability so that you are not blocked your read operations let's say there are hundreds of your friends who want to see your picture on facebook and at the same minute you are updating your picture on facebook so your hundred friends are not blocked till you finish the upload operation to see that picture right i mean they will True. still keep seeing your old picture True. And uh, you know, uh, your when your new picture is available, eventually it will become eventually consistent, right? So maybe zone-wise or area-wise, these updates would be carried into other databases. Right. So that's what you mean by the CQRS pattern and event sourcing pattern. Is that understanding correct? That is correct. Usually, the query service is it hardly interacts with any uh, relational database or any NoSQL database. So the implementation of query services usually it should interact with some cache database cache store to a faster performance because if there are millions of requests for that particular service then doesn't make sense to have so many requests to any physical storage instead it makes sense to have that data replicated in the cache storage so that is where the CQRS pattern comes into picture where you create or update anything in the physical database and you send a notification that whatever dependent systems are available uh, on this particular message you take care of your own so the all those dependent systems they get that notification and their responsibility to make updates into their own system or into their own cache that is how it is implemented yeah so you mentioned that you know you might not want to use relational database because you don't need the full functionality of all the sql updates and deletes and you know all you are doing is for a given key or id you want to retrieve some data so you know would it make sense not to use a relational database for the read operations or for the query operation instead of that you might want to use a cache store such as redis right so that you are able to retrieve the content based on id instead of firing a query which means, which uh, is again, you have, let's say, MySQL uh, as your source and uh, on one hand and on the other hand, you also have Redis. So you have two different technologies or two different uh, databases. On one side, you have a relational. So my question is then this also can be extended further, whereas uh, where you might want to uh, use a let's say a graph database such as Neo4j while dealing with a graph data 
and uh, you know maybe your columnar database for columnar data and uh, so on and so forth so uh, depending uh, like for document you could use mongodb so which means that opens up immense number of possibilities that you have a microservice and depending on the type of microservice it is uh, using a different type of database right. now in this picture how will you make sure that the data or an event that happens uh, is consistently recorded in all the databases because there has to be something that holds this together right otherwise each database will go in its own direction and they will not be consistent with each other right so how do you make sure that they are consistent there are certain message broker implementations kafka and redis are a couple of examples they are message brokers and it's responsibility of these message brokers Are you seeing Redis or Rabbit in there? Rabbit in you. So it's responsibility of these brokers to get the message from producer and uh, make sure that that message is delivered to the appropriate consumer. So there could be various patterns uh, to implement this messaging system. We can implement publisher subscriber uh, implementation where there will be one publisher and multiple subscriptions accessing the same event. Like in this particular case, if I am doing update to some database and it is an event on which other uh, systems are dependent that producer can produce a message that this particular record is updated now you take care of yourself so there could be different consumers one consumer could be the query service which will make updates in the uh, redis cache there could be another analysis service which will make updates to its own database it could be any mongodb or any database or in nosql database elasticsearch it could be anything so this is one way publisher subscriber other is point to point communication which is the typical queue based communication so kafka and rabbitmq are well known examples of message brokers yeah so what you are saying is that your events are published to a message brokers and they are consumed by different databases who are subscribing to those events and based on uh, you know let's say whatever be the application so let's say uh, coming back to our example uploading your facebook picture that could be an event that gets published to a kafka queue and that is being consumed by let us say a service that is creating thumbnail for the use uh, on other things like your facebook uh, news feed where thumbnail is used instead of the complete profile picture so there is a separate microservice which is creating thumbnail which is subscribing to the same event uh, which takes this new photo of yours and starts creating the thumbnail Right. at the same time there may be another service uh, which may be publishing this fact that you have changed your profile picture to all your friends and creating a new speed item based on that so that could be another service that is subscribing to the same event so you have one event and multiple subscribers yes and each subscriber is likely to take its own course to update its own data in that case so one subscription could be the analytics running on that particular event like for example how many times this user has made updates to his profile picture and based on that provide some suggestions so analytics service could be one of the consumer of this event similarly we can have n number of subscribers to that event does this mean that no other data the only way data will get into a database is via an event or a message queue because then it starts making a lot more sense because then you can Uh, move your time needle forward or backward on the message queue to create a state of your application at any given point of time let's say 
I receive a complaint from a user and that happens uh, and there are hundreds of users at the same time it's a dynamic distributed system so to get to the state of your system which was existent when the user faced a problem you can move the needle backwards in your event queue to arrive at that state or move forwards gradually to see when that particular event actually occurred and that error was seen by the user so this makes uh, starts making a lot of sense so my question was is event source the only source or uh, is there any other source from which data can get into a database the other option is all these dependent services they can expose apis which can be called from this command service but if we want to go ahead with this implementation then this command service will have to be tightly coupled with all those services and in case later on there is another service which is being introduced then that change will also have to be done in the command service to interact with that service so, so that will become tight it becomes tight coupling and that is not what microservice does it, uh, microservices should be distributed and they should be loosely coupled from each other so that is why message broker comes into picture where we can scale application and we can make that application fault tolerant right yeah so this is uh, very interesting and you know, uh, this also reminds me of an example which since you mentioned fault tolerance of pets and kettles so pets are the read or the command so where there is state and you would not like to lose your state by killing a pet right and kettles are those which are the read type of so let's say you have containers or container containers in various nodes when it comes to paying high availability for high availability uh, i would you know pay higher cost for let's say the pets which are using higher end uh, multiple zones and backups and all the wonderful things that are available whereas uh, i might go with a very cheap kind of uh, service for the cattles that is those which are doing the read operation it doesn't matter in, uh, if one of those containers simply dies in the middle right and right. they don't care because there is no state in it right so talking about this pattern of can you tell a little bit more about fault tolerance how it is managed with this pattern of uh, having pets and cattles yes so in the same example suppose service a is doing some command operation and on that event there are uh, other systems dependent on that event so it is the responsibility of broker to preserve that event until it is consumed by the end service so even if the end service is suppose not available we will be very sure that whenever that service is available that service is going to get that event and that event is going to get processed by that service the only thing is that for that we have to make our broker highly available that is the only point so that it will store or it will first keep on storing whatever events are coming into it Yeah, if you are talking about Kafka, RabbitMQ, they are good message brokers. They ensure that the message is delivered to the consumer. So that way, we can make sure that all the dependent systems have the same data. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, in terms of being making things available, you have high availability of the message broker to make sure that unless the data is really consumed by everybody, the data doesn't go away. I mean. always stays on so it's all as good as a database by itself right yes yeah so uh, that brings us segues nicely into our next topic you have uh, events which are being logged 
right? I mean, so essentially, this is a running blog of all the events. So to monitor what is going on, let's say there are 100 microservices which are doing more or less the same thing, right? And then there are next 50 microservices, they are doing the next thing. Now, finally, if something goes wrong, you don't know which one of the steps went wrong, whether it was the first step or the second step. And even if you know which step went wrong, you would not know which one of the 100 microservices in the first step, or if it was the second step, which one of the 50, and what combination of the first and the second step resulted into the fault. So how do you trace, I mean, this logging and tracing becomes much more complex than a single threaded kind of application where you have only one thread running. Now here you have multiple threads running in parallel and there are handoffs between the threads. So how do you manage that? So can you just explain a little bit more about logging and how uh, logging systems work for enabling, uh, debugging and monitoring? Yes, in the uh, microservices, so when we implement microservice, it comes with its own complexity and as you correctly mentioned, debugging any problem is become cumbersome because if we talk about containerized microservices, then for one particular microservice, we may have 10 different containers and containers usually uh, in live system goes up, goes live, goes down, uh, so this keeps on happening. So when uh, any particular uh, container goes down, we loses the log information because everything is reside in that container so to handle this first thing that we need is we need to build a centralized mechanism to collect logs from all the containers that are running in the microservices ecosystem and store them in a centralized system which can be distributed internally but a centralized system to log all the data and a visualization system to go and look into the database and brings up the data which makes sense or whichever data user wants to see. So log aggregation and visualization is one part but the other point that you talked about that how will developer uh, uh, debug that this problem is caused at this particular state and this problem is caused at this particular state. To handle that there is a concept of correlation ID so whenever there is a request made by any client the uh, microservice uh, system or microservice architecture it should assign one unique identifier to the every transaction which is uh, related to that request uh, which is uh, the zool filter is starting to start with whenever request comes it is assigning the correlation id which we covered in the last podcast right right, right right so the correlation id it has to be propagated to the all subsequent service calls and uh, it has to be sent back to the user that is the correlation ID implementation so if we have a centralized logging system and if we have a correct visualization tool what developer has to do is he has to search all the related logs using the correlation ID and with the help of that correlation ID he gets all the information what about the transition happening across services to do that there could be a manual way to implement this where we have a tool to have a implement a filter which will inject correlation ID in the thread local variable or thread context and then keep on propagating that using interceptors keep on propagating that correlation ID to the all subsequent services and then passing that correlation ID back to the client using the response interceptor so this is the manual way but fortunately Spring Cloud team has come up with implementation called so they have Sleuth library the developer just has to add dependency of Sleuth into the service and it will automatically inject 
the core or the tracing information and it will make sure that that tracing information is passed along with that tracing information is passed to the all subsequent services it also has one additional advantage that if suppose a developer has to so what is this information other than correlation id Trace ID is what correlation ID. Uh, so uh, in terms of if we talk about sleuth, trace ID, they inject trace ID. That is what the correlation ID is, and it is unique for the entire transaction. Then it adds span ID. So for example, there is a chain of microservices, and in particular service, there could be multiple logger statements. So all logging statements in that one microservice will be assigned with one span ID. Uh, that is one thing. Then it also adds the application name. It also injects the application name in logging. Then the fourth parameter that it adds is whether the data is being sent to Zipkin server or not. What is Zipkin? Zipkin is a tool or the implementation where which basically stores the data sent by Sleuth and with the help of that data, developer can analyze performance of each service against the performance of the total transaction. So that is the benefit that we get using implementation of Zipkin. We were talking about histories in circuit breakers. Right. I mean, there is a bulkhead pattern in which the handoff was happening. Right. But where all it was handing off was just the correlation ID. There was no concept of spans. Right. Right. right? I mean, this concept of spans is neat because then you have a total request end to end. Right. And maybe you have hundreds of handoffs happening there and you would go crazy figuring out. So then you can break down those 100 into 10 logical spans and then you would have to debug only one, one of those 10 spans where the things are going wrong and you don't have to look at all 100. Right. Yeah. The other thing is uh, with the histories, the developer has to specify timeout because few requests may some additional time, few requests may need third time. So yes, yes, there yes. could be time, there could and not be. You could go wrong in that. We could go wrong in that. So we need a, a mechanism which will tell us that what is the average time taken by each service against the total transition times under normal conditions so that we can tune our histories implementation accordingly across all services. What you are saying is you have Sleuth and you have Zipkin. These two things. So Sleuth is the one which is enabling you to trace, bring traceability and then there is a tracing ID just like what you have as a correlation ID. Right. And then it has spans inside that and then you can specify in addition to that additional information which contains the time span or the timeouts if you will and you will be able to visually monitor these using is it, is it a correct description the youth it injects four things one is the trace id which is unique across transactions then span id uh, which is again unique id but that is limited to whatever happening in that service third is the application name itself and fourth is whether that data is being sent to Zipkin or not. But timing of that particular service is captured by Sleuth internally and it sends that data to Zipkin. So Zipkin has that information but Zipkin is not meant for log aggregation and it is not meant for visualization of logs. It is only meant for identifying the performance of each service against the total transaction. For log aggregation we need to uh, incorporate separate systems. So there are there's an ELK stack available, Elasticsearch, Logstash, Kibana, that stack is available too. But if you have ELK stack where Kibana as I understand is for visualization.
English, right? Then do you need to use Zipkin? Like I said, Zipkin is for identifying performance. It keeps track on how the transaction is happening, but with Kibana in real time. But with Kibana, it is really hard to track what was the time taken by each service because it is just log store. It does not have that capability. Advantage of Kibana is that the logs, whatever we have, they are searchable. Uh, but that is the work of Elasticsearch, right? Yes, internally that data is stored in Elasticsearch, which Kibana interacts with, and Kibana is just a visual visualization. Correct. Yeah. So, but then these two Kibana, as you are saying, is not a real time tool. It is more of a historical data being analyzed at a later point in time. Whereas what you see in Zipkin is in real time. Yes, in Zipkin we see the real time how the performance of every transaction is. To make sure that we send every data to Zipkin, there is a configuration needed in each microservice. That configuration we have to make sure that it depends on the developer that what is the percentage that uh, he wants to send to Zipkin because it doesn't make sense in production system that to send every log line to Zipkin. In that case, that developer can reduce the percentage, but in the development stage, he can go on sending all logs to Zipkin. So that percentage is controlled by the service. Yeah, just like I remember. In the logging days, we had that uh, you know we could turn the logging on or off, or we could have detailed logging or not so detailed logging. So there are various levels. There is, is the there same is a log level. Log. log level is kind of a same idea, but it is not depend on the log level. Mm. So whatever logs generated. Even if we have a info log level, whatever logs that are generated at info level, so based on the percentage, only few logs will be sent to zip, and that percentage is configurable for each microservice. Now there are other systems which we are not going to cover in today's podcast, like QND is one of them, where you have a sidecar kind of sitting alongside your containers that is collecting real time data and then making it available for you to run analytics and that monitoring data yes. another system is prometheus so very soon i think we will have another podcast maybe in the next few months wherein we will be covering exciting microservices related topics so we also want to talk about helm and the way helm is being used to deploy we will also want to talk about uh, service mesh using Istio and Envoy and we will also be talking a little bit more about tracing and monitoring using Prometheus and QND and tools like that. So is there anything else that we needed to cover in today's podcast and a question that I didn't ask? I think uh, it is important that a log aggregation and visualization if we want to go ahead with ELK stack, ELK is, you know, this is something which developer needs to set up. But there are few open source or uh, not open source, there are few platforms, cloud platforms available, which does the job for us. Paper trail is one example. So we have to sign up in paper trail and we have to pass all the Docker logs to paper trail and paper trail provides us the log aggregation visualization tool. So that way developer can effectively utilize his time. So I think it's good to have that at least during the development phase. All right. Uh, thanks. It was a pleasure having you and we enjoyed this podcast to a series of two podcasts on Spring Cloud and Spring Boot uh, microservices. And we look forward to the next episode coming up very soon on the same topic, uh, talking about, you know, other exciting new horizons in microservices. Thank you, Weber. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Yonai. Thanks, Mandula. 
Thanks Vinayak and thank you Webber for sharing your insights with our listeners and thank you everyone for tuning into this episode. If you are looking to accelerate your product roadmap, visit our website www.synerzip.com for more information. Stay tuned to future Zip Radio episodes for more expert insights on technology and agile trends. Thank you.